my name is Daniel, and I'm a co-founder at uh, Aquaponics AI. And this is a series called Peoples of Aquaponics. And we're just connecting with industry experts in aquaculture and aquaponics. And today we have Stephen Hedlund, and he's with the Global Aquaculture Alliance. And he's a veteran in the seafood industry with 20 years of experience and deep understanding of seafood value chain and sustainable seafood programs. And today we're just going to connect with him and hear about the Global Aquaculture Alliance and what they do. And thanks, Stephen, for joining today. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. My pleasure. Yeah, I'd love to hear more just about you at first. Just, um, yeah, just your experience yeah. in aquaculture and seafood industry. Yeah, I'm actually a journalist by trade. And I, I fell into the industry about 21 years ago, uh, working for a um, B2B media and events um, company uh, here, in, here in Portland, Maine, where I live. Um, and, and seafood was one of the, um, one of the company's industries. Um, so that's how I learned about the industry, through uh, being an editor for the company's magazine. So, um, and then about eight and a half years ago, I joined uh, the Global Aquaculture Alliance um, as its first um, communications-minded <laughs> professional to help it with its um, communications, events, and, and marketing strategy. So I've done a little bit of everything in my eight and a half years there. So great, that's fantastic. Yeah, tell us more about the Global Aquaculture Alliance. I know their tagline is feeding the world through yeah. responsible aquaculture. Can you tell us more about that vision and what you guys do? Of course, of course. Uh, GAA has been around since 1997, uh, founded by our, our, our president, um, who's still with us, George Chamberlain. And um, really, the, 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 the GAA has its roots in, in, in trim farming. A lot of the folks who founded uh, GAA were uh, pioneers in commercial shrimp farming back in the 70s and 80s okay. and 90s. And uh, at the time, um, uh, shrimp farming in Southeast Asia was being bashed by um, the environmental community uh, over mangrove deforestation. So George um, realized that there wasn't really a voice for responsible aquaculture out there. And, um, and, and that's kind of where the organization came from. And it started out as, you know, we're, we're an international trade association. We're a 501c6. And, um, and uh, it's just really started out with your typical association activities, um, magazine, event, uh, which are the, the two main things that I work on currently. And then, uh, then it evolved into the best aquaculture practices, third-party certification program. Yes. Because we had these pre-competitive activities where we could talk about uh, shared responsibilities in aquaculture. Um, but there really wasn't, uh, you know, it's, it's the demonstration of that. And that's where, uh, the, that's where the BAP standards were developed so that processing plants, farms, hatcheries, and feed mills could be audited against these standards annually to prove that they're applying best pra practices in environmental responsibility, social responsibility, food safety, and animal health and welfare. So, um, so the organization has evolved over the past 20 plus years um, where there's, you know, we have the world's 
largest and most comprehensive aquaculture certification program, but we're still involved in all these pre-competitive activities. And that's kind of what sets us apart. Some things need to be addressed, you know, as a whole, as a community, you're not gonna find solutions. Any one company is not gonna find solutions. So, um, so we, still, we still take that approach. Okay. And you have the certification and you also have just mm-hmm. general, general membership as well that people can exactly. Be yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you know how many people have gone through the certification? Yeah, currently there are um, more than 2,400 okay. uh, BAP certified facilities in almost 40 countries uh, encompassing about 30 farm seafood species. Wow. Okay. I know Superior Fresh is a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. massive aquaponic company and they're mm-hmm. certified, I believe, like in about 2018. Do you know yeah, of any, any other aquaponic farmers? Yeah. Okay. But, the first yeah. one ever. Yeah. The first one ever in our program. So that right. was, I remember sharing the news. So um, I, to my knowledge, I don't know if there, there may be one other, but um, you know, I, I would say with our certification program, it's, um, uh, it, it, it has become a, a requirement of um, retail and food service companies. So they'll, um, they'll require that their customers uh, pursue BAP certification. So for some of the small to mid-sized um, aquaponics operations, uh, that may not necessarily be a, a requirement to the people that they're selling to in, to, in terms of fish. So, um, so uh, we've kind of, you kind of got to be to a certain scale, big, like Superior yes. Fresh, yeah. where, okay, they've got, they've got some big customers and they expect this sort of thing. They've, they've written our program and other programs into their sustainable seafood sourcing policy. So it's, it's almost, it's almost becomes like a requirement uh, yeah. way of doing business. So I mean, I would um, only see that growing. I just think, yeah, with the certification that you have and just with, uh, even, you know, aquaculture and decoupled mm-hmm. aquaponics or coupled aquaponics, I could see it only growing and people needing to have that certification. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, you know, if you're going to sell at any, if you're going to sell at any major buyer, it's, it's, it's an expectation. Yeah. Right. How, ha- um, how is the seafood industry becoming more sustainable? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Yeah. <laughs> very good question. <laughs> I just know it's a, you know, it's a topic and, mm-hmm. you know, aquaculture is the, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the largest growing, you know, segment of agriculture. Yeah, it, and, it has been, it has yeah. been for a while. And yeah. so just in your time with the Alliance, how have you seen it become more sustainable? Yeah, um, uh, more, better technology. Uh, resulting in, in more efficient uh, production. Um, it, it, that's, really, that's really what it's all about. Um, you're seeing more and more uh, large scale or industrial scale um, farms and processing plants that are able to operate uh, much more efficiently uh, because, of, because of scale. Yeah. So um, that, that's... Um, uh, and also, um, because of the growth that you just mentioned, we're seeing more investment from outside what I call the seafood bubble, where investors are coming in, 
and spending a lot of money on new aquaculture production systems, such as recirculating aquaculture systems, um, or uh, better feed ingredients um, to supplement uh, fish meal and fish feed. Uh, we're really seeing it in every sector up and down the seafood supply chain where the investment's coming in. And it could, it could be uh, someone who's new to the industry, or it could be um, a big player in the industry who's reinvesting in their operations. So I, that, that's really, that's been the difference in the past 10 years or so. Yeah. What are some technologies you're excited about that you're hearing of and that are, like you said, streamlining efficiency and production? And Right. Right. Yeah, I, it, it's, it is very exciting. I mean, we had um, we at our event, uh, which is called Goal, we held it virtually okay. uh, in October last year. And one of the 10 sessions uh, was titled Paradigm Shifting Aquaculture Production Systems and the Pioneers Behind Them. Great. And I, I thought we were actually just talking about that yesterday. I thought that was really interesting because the production systems that we highlighted in the, in the session was chaired by our president and founder, George Chamberlain, really dug into how much investment was being put into uh, new aquaculture production systems. Um, we had two uh, that um, involved uh, shrimp uh, and both from very large players in the industry, Minfu in Vietnam and CP Foods in, in Thailand. And they, uh, they talked about these new land-based tank systems. You know, traditionally shrimp is uh, grown in, in a man-made pond um, where water is diverted through the pond and back out again and, um, and often run by families. Um, and uh, these new uh, shrimp production systems were very uh, appealing because of the scale and the efficiency. And, uh, and then the other three of the five, the other three were on salmon. Okay. And uh, just so much is being thrown at um, not only recirculating aquaculture systems, land-based systems that can be placed closer to market um, so that product isn't, uh, isn't required to be shipped around the world. I think there are something like 60 something of these uh, of these RAS Atlantic salmon uh, farms in currently uh, in operation or, or in development around the world. It's very okay. yeah. And then there's offshore too. I, we're seeing systems offshore, especially in Norway, which is the world's largest Atlantic salmon producer, um, really investing in um, offshore technology enclosed systems it's almost like a ship that's out to sea with an enclosed system versus a a, a cage that's that's um that's tied to uh the ocean floor it's just it's it's amazing you know what what we're on the cusp of yeah of, um you know and that's just from the, our, the two major probably the two major species in the industry which is shrimp and salmon so, okay yeah yeah, yeah. And you had mentioned just fish nutrition being mm -hmm. just an innovation that's happening recently. How is that just fueling the aquacultural future? Yeah, well, we're seeing um, all, what were called alternative feed ingredients become, become mainstream. Okay. Um, and, and again, to supplement uh, fish meal. Now, 
fish meal fisheries worldwide are, are as, you know, as responsibly managed as, as they've ever been. There are a lot of response, certified, responsibly managed fisheries out there. But like any wild fishery resource, there's, there's a ceiling. So, um, and, and fish meal will continue to be a major ingredient in fish feed, but um, in the industry is looking for new ways to supplement that. And we're seeing a lot of um, investment, particularly in that um, using uh, insect meal, or there's a variety of different types of um, uh, uh, alternative feed ingredients, the protein base that, that, you're, that you're seeing in, in feed um, to supplement uh, fish meal. So, and that's, and that's all meant eventually to drive the cost. You know, a fish feed can be 50% of a farmer's costs. Right. So driving that down has an enormous impact. The cost down has an enormous impact on uh, production. Yeah. I think we have a lot of followers that are aquaponic practitioners mm -hmm. and then some are aquaculture um, practitioners as well. But I believe just from my experience, most aquaponic practitioners step into aquaponics, obviously value, valuing and believing in the fish side, but mm -hmm. kind of focusing on plant production. In just your advice, how could an aquaponic grower just be a better aquaculture practitioner? What are, what are some tips you'd recommend that we could mm. upgrade our fish knowledge and growth practice? Yeah, I think... I think the challenge is on the market side, honestly, um, and and perhaps I'm I'm looking at it from a from a U.S. perspective. But um, the challenge is on the market side. You need to. And I know tilapia is a common uh, farm uh, seafood species uh, raised in an aquaponics operation. Um, you need to raise a fish that you'll be able to sell um, to a certain. Um, uh, to a certain market, like a tilapia is an example. Um, you, um, because uh, the cost of producing tilapia in Latin America and Asia is, is, um, is, is, is so much lower. Um, the only market you really have for, if you're a U.S. aquaponics operations or in other countries too, is to sell whole fish to certain uh, certain types of markets. So it's very popular in Asian markets here in the United States. So um, because you're required to get a certain price point to make it worth your while. And that's, I feel like that's where the challenge lies that you really need to look at the market for that fish um, uh, before you um, think about the, the fish end of the aquaponics operation being being as, as, um, as, as profitable as, as the, you know, I, I know a lot of just kind of do it for the sake of doing it. And, and that might be the answer for you. That that's the market side. Of, that's a difficult sell the people yeah. who, you know, it's just, um, it's just, uh, it's, it's limited. I, I think that's a major challenge, a major challenge. So yeah, you're, you're always subject to, you know, no matter what you do, you're subject to, the ups and downs of the market for that particular species. Yeah. It's still the same species. You might be producing a higher quality product and whole fresh fish, um, but you're still subject to what, you know, a, a fresh fish fillet from 
uh, Honduras or Colombia or Ecuador is being sold for, um, you know, if you're that, that's just, it's just, and that's, that's the case with every species. So. How do you think aquaponic growers can just be more responsible on the aquaculture side? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's just, um, I, I feel like a lot, I, you know, and this is just my, my, my gut, but sure. that a yeah, lot of that's... aquaponics, yeah, they're coming into the industry for the right reasons. And I feel like they're coming in, they're already well aware of, um, of what, you know, what's responsible and what's not responsible. Um, there, that, that seems to be that, you know, they, they all seem to be getting in the business for the right reasons, which is, which is really encouraging, I think. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, you can, you know, always, there's always means to educate yourself, um, you know, and to, and to look at standards like our BAP standards as a guide, even if, even if, um, you're not planning on pursuing certification, even looking at, um, uh, looking at standards like ours as a guide to how, how to follow, uh, how to follow best practices. So is there a BAP standard you're most passionate about? No, me in particular. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't know if really. there's one I, that stands yeah. out that you're like, Hey, I really uh, am excited about that one. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, for us, I will, what, ex what excites me or what excites us is that, you know, this isn't just about the farm. I think there's always a focus on the farm, but the, it, it, that's just part of it really. And, um, and that we have a seafood processing plant standard, uh, feed mill standard and a hatchery standard. I think, um, uh, uh, you know, it just shows that um, for aquaculture, the entire um, uh, aquaculture production chain can be certified under our program. So, um, you know, for example, if you're, you may be doing all the right things at the farm level, but if there are um, best practices not being followed at the processing level, then really how quote unquote sustainable is your, is your fish. So it's, we, we, we've always felt, and that's why our program is so comprehensive that it's important to check off every, um, every, every level of um, aquaculture production chain that, that you can apply for certification for each level. And we're actually getting into wild fisheries too. We have two sets of standards, our seafood processing plant standard and uh, a new um, responsible fishing vessel standard um, uh, for social responsibility, uh, where we're just trying to apply our program to gaps in wild fisheries production or aquaculture production where, there's, where certification doesn't currently exist. So, um, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about actually being able to demonstrate it. And if you're able to demonstrate it every year and then show progress over time, and then our standards are continually updated and strengthened. Um, so, so, you know, when you're talking about sustainability, you know, that's the demonstration that you, you, you can look back at um, uh, all the data involved in an audit and audits over the years and see progress over time. So that's, that's where we really feel this, this on the ground uh, proof is, yeah. is really what, um, uh, what, 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 you know, the, the proof of sustainability. So, yeah. 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 Setting those standards and yeah, the audit trail and with the data. Yeah. yeah that's good. Yeah. Um, what do you feel is the role of a smallholder fish farmer globally is just in the aquaculture economy? 
I just know, you know, a lot of work is in developing countries mm-hmm. or, you know, other areas that are just smallholder fish farmers. How can mm-hmm. they play a role in the just aquaculture economy? Yeah. Yeah. Very good question. It, in, there, you know, I talk about certification, but that's probably the top, what, 15, 20% of the market is, is in a position uh, uh, financially and depending on if their products being sold. Uh, internationally to to pursue certification, but what what about the other eighty percent or eighty five percent? So it, for smallholders to engage in um, aquaculture improvement projects or fishery improvement projects, um, and for NGOs like ours to um, to meet them where they're at and try to help them take the next steps is really important too. Because we can all focus on the cream of the crop, <laughs> yeah. but that doesn't really move the dial if small if if smallholders aren't engaging with NGOs and industry and the retail and food service community too, and vice versa. Some retail and food service companies, you know, I, you know how I said they have certification written in their sustainable seafood sourcing policy. They may also have um, fishery improvement projects or aquaculture improvement projects that they work with, working with certain NGOs, and then they recognize that progress, and then they'll start buying from that smallholder, even though they're not ready for certification yet. So I think that's really important too. And it, this is a two-way street too. You know, this isn't just about NGOs coming in and forcing their way on, on smallholder farmers. This is, this is about, it, this works both ways. So I really do think that's important because you gotta look, you gotta look at production as a, almost like a bell curve where, um, you know, the vast majority of farmers are producing the vast majority of product and you, you have to address the front of the bell curve as well as the back of the bell curve. Yeah. So, um, because a few bad players can bring down the reputation of the industry. And a lot of people don't, you know, consumers don't really, they still don't understand what aquaculture is. And um, they may, uh, maybe a lot of misperceptions around aquaculture production practices. So, you know, it's important that, you know, that, that we lift, lift up the industry in its entirety because it only takes one bad, bad story to, to, bring, yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> right. to bring down the reputation of any industry. So. Right. Yeah. Along those lines of a smallholder farmer, mm-hmm. there's a lot of followers that are just involved in education with youth. And how do you feel like education is just plays a role in our sustainable future of aquaculture? Well, well, for, you know, for a small local aquaponics facility, it might be, um, uh, you know, a child's first introduction to, to food production. That's what's so, you know, brilliant about it for some of these, you know, and, and, and for, for your large scale aquaculture operations, you know, it, they're not quite as accessible. Maybe a salmon farm that's a mile offshore or a uh, series of shrimp farms in Vietnam or Thailand. So, you know, locally as a, as a student, you might not not have access to that sort of thing. So um, that a a local aquaponics facility can, can engage with students and give them a sense of what it takes to grow food, I I think is, is, is about, is such value and something that's harder for larger players in the industry to, uh, to deliver because that may pique their interest in, uh, we're certainly seeing a lot of young people getting involved in, in aquaculture and, and interest in food production seems to continue to rise and rise and rise year over year. 
and and those those first steps may may come through exposure to an aquaponics facility. So I, I don't see that but anything but a good thing. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to stay in aquaponics. You could stay in aquaponics. You could go on to do something. And there's so many different types of jobs in aquaculture. So you don't have to just be a a, a farmer or a processor. You could you could be a communications person like me. You could be a marketer. You could be um, an event organizer. It's um, there's certainly a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. What's the future of the Global Aquaculture Alliance in your work specifically? What is on the horizon? Yeah. So this year we're, um, as I mentioned earlier, we're transitioning to the Global Seafood Alliance. Um, and that's, um, that's a result of our involvement in, in the two sets of uh, uh, wild fisheries uh, standards that I mentioned earlier. And now actually our, our, our pre-competitive association work will come around too. So at our goal conference, which I, I manage, which is now a series of virtual events and, and as well as an in-person event, um, you know, we'll be talking a lot more about opportunities and challenges in, in wild fisheries, just, just as we have in aquaculture for years. Same with our magazine, same with our podcast, same with our membership. We're just gonna be addressing those. We're basically doubling our world um, uh, by doing that. And that's really exciting because, um, uh, we've just been so focused on aquaculture the past 20 plus years. And now we're, now we're slowly getting into wild fisheries and building up our expertise there so we can better serve that community. Um, yeah. that's exciting. That's really exciting. That is exciting. Happening a lot yeah. faster than I thought <laughs> yeah. it would. But. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a lot of stuff has just been but, kind of yeah. jump, jump started. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're unique in that it's um, a lot of aquaculture and fisheries organizations are um, regional or national. And, uh, and we, what we're trying to do is be a, be a global uh, voice on both sides. So, um, and there's nothing quite like that out there. And we're very focused on uh, professionals within the, within the industry. So we're, um, we're well connected to the people in retail and food service, just as we are to the people in, in production. We, we always see ourselves as, as a convener of sorts, yeah. uh, bringing people together who may not otherwise um, connect to address challenges and opportunities in aquaculture and, and now in, in wild fisheries. So yeah, it's exciting. And you mentioned a podcast and a magazine. How can mm -hmm. people learn more about just your work and how can they follow along? Yeah. Oftentimes that's how a uh, person finds out about us. Our, our magazine is open uh, to all as well as our podcast. And, um, and those, those activities are meant to, um, not only to, you know, educate the industry about what, whatever it may be and, and animal disease um, and how it's being managed or, um, or trends in, in, in consumer purchasing habits. It could be anything. Um, and that might be their first introduction to our world. Um, and then they, we, we, our hope is that they become more and more involved over time as um as a member or an event attendee or maybe even pursuing BAP certification so i always feel that those activities are important because um this isn't uh some sort of exclusive club yeah we we want uh we we want certain things that we do to be be open to all and um and uh get people in the door that way we feel that that that's important uh and you know and that that's those activities become 
you know, their, their introduction to us and vice versa. So, um, and we hope to keep that relationship going over, over time. Is there a public list of the BAP standards? Is there yeah. a, there, where can someone find that? Yeah, on our BAP website, okay. uh, BAPcertification.org. Um, you know, our program is pretty transparent and the standards to which we're accredited to require as much. Um, uh, All of our standards are uh, publicly available as PDFs on our website. All of our BAP um, certified facilities are listed in a, in a, in a, in a chart sort and and search chart on our, uh, on our website. So it's just um, all those things are readily available. And, and the, there's a public comment period for the standards. We have a standards oversight committee um, of people who are not GAA employees who are continually updating and strengthening the standards. Uh, the, the, certific- the people who actually do the auditing are independent from us. Um, they're not GAA employees. Uh, they work for certification bodies who do the actual auditing and then report back to us. So there's a lot of independence and transparency built into this program and, and as well as the other programs that are in the space. And it's, it's an expectation. Yeah. Yeah. On this series, we ask a lot of guests what their superpower is (laughs) and just meaning what's Steven's unique contribution to either the Alliance or to this world or to the seafood industry? What do you feel like your unique superpower is? Mine personally? Your personal unique superpower. Well, for me, my my experience in in B2B media events and and marketing, and if I can can, um, continually educate myself on best practices, in those disciplines and apply them to um, uh, to the industry, then that I, my hope is that that'll help make it a, a little bit of a of a better industry. Um, and um, you know, because my again, my background it's not it's not in uh, science or biology of 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 aquaculture. It's in um, it's in you know it's it's in these other things. So I I hope that just by doing that. And um, I, I do a lot of research and education outside of our aquaculture bubble or seafood bubble just to, um, I like to, I basically like to steal from other, see what other, what other food industries and other industries in general are doing and try to apply them to, um, to our industry. Um, because most people in the industry aren't, aren't thinking of those things. And that's my job and my colleagues' jobs and, and others, you know, in other associations to, to think of those things and, and apply them to our industry. Um, it, it, and we're assuming that, you know, a more transparent, more open um, uh, industry is, is, is a better one. We're operating under that philosophy. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a unique contribution for sure. What do you do when you're not focusing on the seafood industry? What recharges you? How do you unplug just, oh, in, yeah. just <laughs> in life when you're not focused on the seafood industry? What what brings you life? Yeah, well, I, I spend a lot of time with my family, of course, but um, I like to be outside. Yeah. When I'm not working, I, I unplug. So um, I, uh, I, you know, fortunate to live in a place um, that's fairly rural um, and, you, and with a lot of outdoor activities. So I enjoy, I enjoy fishing. Um, 
particularly ice fishing. Okay. Uh, which I'm enjoying every weekend right now. And really? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I have never there. been ice fishing, <laughs> but I've heard a lot about it. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's so much fun. It's okay. so much fun. And it's bringing people together at a time when people are stuck indoors. Yes. Yes. It's so nice to go out there and, uh, and, you know, and we just invite everyone out and you end up meeting people out there and talking to them. And there's not a lot of that going on right now. Right. So I feel like this, uh, this season has been special because of it. So, yeah. but any outdoor activity, really, I, 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 hiking too, you end up meeting people who you wouldn't otherwise meet. So um, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time today. We, yeah, we love what you're doing and we see just the importance of what you're doing at the Alliance. And, and so, yeah, we appreciate your work. And I think the aquacultural industry, seafood industry, aquaponic industry, we can all benefit from, yeah, seeing the inspiration that you guys are providing and just best practices and certification and standards. I think someone told me about some of the challenges of either aquaculture or aquaponics, just Mm -hmm. scaling with responsibly and sustainably is just that standardization of practices and certifications. And I think it's a bottleneck. And so thanks for what you're doing at the Alliance. And yeah, thanks for your time and for joining us. (laughs) 